Hey, well, good morning. Hey, man, let's give it up for Andrew one more time. That was so good. So good. Thank you so much. That was so, so, so funny. Uh, didn't give me a lot of room to work, but hey, uh, I'll do my best. Man, we are in a series called Naked Pillow Fights. Just love that bumper. I don't know about you, but that's pretty cool. And the reason why we've kind of gone this angle and taken this approach is because so many times when you think about marriage and you hear about marriage, it comes in terms that may be slightly negative. They may lean a little negative. For instance, sometimes you'll hear that marriage is a lot of hard work. Yeah, you hear that sometimes. Sometimes you hear it described as like a bubble that goes up in the air and bursts and doesn't last as long as you thought it would, you know? I mean, we hear it, we hear it talked about. And we just want to recapture some fun. We want to recapture some excitement, some passion, some playfulness, some spontaneity. We want to laugh a little bit. Uh, and, and also, man, more than just four weeks to a better marriage, which we hope that happens, clearly. That's why we have the, the texting challenge. That's why we're doing the, taking the steps that we're taking. We hope that, man, when we're older, maybe 60, 65, 75 or older that, man, we're sitting around at an anniversary or birthday with maybe grandkids or great grandkids, if we live that long, who are looking at us saying, golly, they love each other way too much. Get your hands off of each other. That's kind of our approach. And so we're just hoping that it can build into a long lasting, long-term relationship. You know, week one, when we talked about it, the reason why we get married is for connection. And we get married because we want to be connected. And we want to be connected in a unique way. Like we get married for connection. And when we get married, we don't want to be connected like we're connected to our friends that we go play golf with or we go shopping with or we have coffee with. We want to be connected in a very unique and a very intimate way. And what happens after marriage is that we begin to cooperate with each other to run the household. And marriage turns into cooperating. And as we're cooperating, we're having lots to do. Have you noticed that married couples? You got lots to do, don't you? You got bills to pay, you got mouths to feed, you got schedules to keep, you got um, houses to maintain and to keep up. And eventually what can happen is we end up cooperating without connection. And that leads to conflict. And so we want to restore what we believe is the fundamental building block in a marriage connection, and that is sex. We think that sex is the fundamental building block to the marriage connection. And I know, I know, I know sex can be awkward to talk about, can it? So at the top, let me just go ahead and set some sex expectations for all of us. <laughs> that I'm going to say some things accidentally that in any other context would be normal, but in this context, it's going to feel like, mm, is that what he meant? Is that a double entendre? And no, it's not. It's just that I don't have a middle school mind anymore, and I miss some of those. But I've attempted to wash out any euphemisms that come, could come across as sexy or sextacular, as we would say. And so uh, well, as we get started, just, just one thing. Let me ask you this question. How many of you had a helpful and healthy conversation as kids with your parents about sex? Raise your hand. Three, five, seven. Thank you, son. Seven. <laughs> seven. Seven people in the room. Now, there's about 400 people in here. So seven people. How many of you had no conversation with your parents about sex? There you go. How many of you had an awkward conversation with your parents about sex? Right? This is how this goes for us. So think about it. Like, your parents, all of a sudden, they, they want to have this conversation. They don't know if it's the right age. They don't know what to say. They haven't done any research. They just know they need to have the conversation to kind of check it off their parent list. And so they're like, they, they tell you they want to talk to you. And even though you don't know what they want to talk about, you know what they want to talk about. And you know, oh, man, this is going to be awkward. I don't want to do it. Can I go do something else? I think I've got the stomach virus. Like, let's not do this. And then you have 
have this conversation and they stumble through the conversation. They use some words you have no idea what they're talking about. And they talk about birds and bees and eggplant. And you're like, what is going on right now? I have no idea. And finally, at the end of it, after they've kind of fumbled through it, they say, do you understand? And you're like, Yes, got to go. And out the door you go. And it's over, right? It's over. And it's just, man, it feels so awkward. It feels like you didn't learn anything. It's not something you necessarily want to be talking to your kids about. And, it, and I don't know that you ever get completely comfortable talking to your kids about sex as a parent. So, you know, as a, as a parent of four, three boys, you know, I had that conversation um, with the boys when they were of the right age. And so, uh, and it was awkward, right? Even as a parent, it's a little awkward. It's awkward for them. I can remember older two when I told them kind of what happened and what sex was and how it went down. They kind of started connecting the dots. They're like, you and mom, and we have four of us. Y'all have had sex four times? I'm like, yes, son, four times. And they go running out of the room screaming, right? Just, and we laughed about it, and it was a lot of fun. And even last night, this is what's even funnier, is that, so I have a son who's married. He's allowed to have sex, right? And so I have a son who's married, and that's even hard for me to say, wow. And so I have a son who's married, and so I'm talking to my wife last night about, hey, you, uh, about the message, and she's like, you should call him and just ask him maybe if there's something that, you know, you've forgotten about as far as what you were expecting that happened when you're a newlywed and all that. And so I'm like, that's a terrible idea. Why would I do that? But I'm going to be Mr. Dad. So I pick up the phone and I call him and I hang up the phone after talking to him with her. I'm like, that was the most awkward conversation of my lifetime. <laughs> There's just something about it that's awkward. And here's what happens. Because it's awkward, because we don't learn enough, because, because we don't get the full picture, we begin to look to other people and other methods to understand about sex. How many of you talked to your friends about sex when you were in middle school? right? Like, and you know what? That was a really great idea because your friend had an older brother who told you everything you needed to know. Or maybe it was Netflix. Or maybe it was a magazine. Or maybe it was a movie. Or maybe it was some other avenue that we learned about sex. And we learned it in a way that, man, it makes us feel a little weird that we feel like we may not understand completely what we should know. And also, we have a lot of false beliefs about sex that we want to recapture for the day. And because we believe that it is fundamental to connecting in the context of marriage, we just want to talk about that today. And I want to do it in a way that's going to make us laugh. But it's a serious subject. Man, it's going to require um, some thinking. Man, there's some pain involved for many people. Man, there are some mistakes. There's a past. I mean, and we recognize all of that. Man, there are people here who were single and not married, and you're wondering, you're asking the questions. And, and so we want to do it in a way that's helpful, and it's going to be helpful and meaningful for everybody, in a way that's respectful for other people. And so um, to kind of launch us into the text, our, our staff counselor, when he's doing marriage counseling or premarital counseling, here's what he says. He says, as often as you can, having sex as often as you can, in ways that you enjoy, don't settle. As often as you can, in ways that you enjoy, don't settle. And so I'm going to unpack this today from the Bible. So before we open our Bibles, let me just pray for us and we're going to jump right in. So, Father, we're grateful for the gift of sex in the context and the crucible of marriage. And, Lord, as we just look at your words and process what you've taught us and process how we've been created, God, that you would help us just to have a healthy sexual ethic, God, that we wouldn't man, fall into ways that we've heard, the ways of the culture, ways that are wrong, ways that aren't life-giving, ways that don't have uh, abilities to sustain us long-term. And God, I pray for those who have gone through difficulty, who have gone through um, sexual mistakes, 
who've been abused sexually, Lord, that this would be a time of healing and hope and restoration, God. And we don't take it lightly, Lord, um, and we want to be a people that believes in it the way that you've created us to believe in it. And we just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's go ahead and open our Bible. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, if you have a Bible, uh, a paperback you can, that we give away out in the front, you can go to page 556. Also, you can go to the particular passage in your app. Now, just to understand, give a little context to why we're to, to this particular passage. It's in the book called Corinthians. It's written to a church. And so Paul is the church planter. He started a church. He's a pastor. And he started this church in Corinth. And because he looked at their behavior and had heard about some of their sexual behavior, he knows that he's got to bring some correction. So the way he's going to bring some correction is by writing this letter. And they're in a culture that's very promiscuous in Roman culture. And in their church, some of that has creeped in and some ways of thinking about sex Man, we're contrary to the way God has created it. So he just wants to bring some correction. So I think that by us reviewing what Paul wrote to the Corinthians will help us understand the scope of God's creation of sex to help us connect with our spouse in the context of marriage. So verse 1, chapter 7 says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, they had written Paul a letter because he had told them about their sexual behavior. He, they wrote him a letter back and said this, hey, it's good for a man not to have sex with a woman. So basically, he's like, hey, Paul, if we're getting it all wrong over here, then maybe we should just stop all together. And Paul's like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Right? He's about to bring some correction to that. They wrote that. They thought it. He's like, oh, 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 wait just a minute. That would be devastating. Right? That would ruin you. It would ruin your marriage. And it would be no fun whatsoever. And so he begins to go in verse 2. It says, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife. I love how he starts with the man. Each man should have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. All right, so let's just look at that right there. So he uses this idea around temptation to sexual immorality. So what Paul is referring to in the context that he's writing, he's not saying, hey, listen, just so you don't mess up because you can't control your physical appetites, you guys need to have sex in marriage. You need to have sex with your spouse. That's not what he's saying. His point is that, man, we are created as sexual beings. And that God has created us to have sex in the context that he's called us to have it in. Like like when God created men and women, he created us to have sex. We have sexual appetites. It's not like God created Adam and Eve, gets busy over here like creating a zebra and looks up and like, what are y'all doing over there? Like that's creative. Don't do that. Like God expects us Man, to have sex in the, in the context with which he's given us to have sex is part of how we're wired. And so, so there's different reasons why God has created us this way. I mean, number one, obviously, is to have babies. Is everybody clear on this one? Right? This one's elementary. It's fundamental. You have sex. You have children. Now, now he, he, this, this always amazes me is that you'll, I'll meet a couple or maybe some friends of mine, and maybe they have two or three kids, and all of a sudden they find that they're pregnant again, and they're like this. Don't know how that happened. <laughs> really, bro? <laughs> like, it's going to happen unless you have twin beds. It's going to happen. And so, man, for procreation, also for pleasure, there's a couple other reasons. The primary reason, the one reason that we see in the Bible that would rise to the top is to help us in this area of connection. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the, the writer says this, a man will leave his father and mother 
Hold fast to his wife, be glued to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So clearly this image of one flesh is the image of a man and a woman having sex and becoming one flesh. That's how this looks. It's how it happens. So the primary reason, the fundamental reason for having sex is to become one flesh. It's for connection. You see, connection through sex, sex was created as fundamental to the marriage relationship, not optional. Sex is fundamental to the marriage relationship, It's not optional because sometimes we look at sex as like, man, it's just icing on top. We look at it as, man, it's just it's just the whipped cream on top of my milkshake. Like, like have you ever do you guys remember when we were kids? They don't do this anymore. When we were kids, they would have a prize in the cereal box. Anybody remember that? You guys remember that? And man, you would do whatever it took to get to the prize, wouldn't you? Like I would, you would dump the cereal out in this big bowl because you were really hungry, but really you weren't that hungry. You just wanted the prize to come out because somehow magically they always made it stick to the bottom of the box. Or you would just go digging through the box to get to the prize. Like sometimes we believe that sex is like that. Like it's kind of nice to have, but it's not fundamental. And what, what, what Paul is telling, hey, it's fundamental. Like it's, it's, it's something that you need to be concerned about. It's something you need to put on your radar. It's something you should be actively engaged in. We have sexual appetites. Now, if you don't believe me, and I think most of you do, but, but just think of it this way. Even outside the context of church, outside the context of the Bible, think about the prevalence of sex in our culture. Sex sells. You want to sell coffee? Sex. Like you want to... You want to sell a video game that's a sport game? Put some sexy cheerleaders on there. And then we get to kind of the the coup de grace is pornography. Now, not not to delve too far into that, but just to point out how prevalent it is in our culture. In the United States, we will spend about $12 billion on pornography. Now, to put that in context... That's more than the NFL, we will spend on the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NBA combined. Right? That's a lot of money. Sex sites, pornographic, pornographic sites, have more network traffic on the internet than Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined. 64% of uh, kids the age of 13 to 24 on a weekly basis will search for a pornographic website. The average age that someone sees pornography for the first time, nine. Now, now if you're a parent, and this, this happens every year when our students will do a series around dating and they do one on sex. And a parent will get a little upset that their sixth grader or seventh grader is going to be exposed to this kind of talk. If you're waiting till they're in the sixth or seventh grade, you're late. And I'm not saying that to judge you or make you feel bad. I just want you to understand the reality of what our kids are facing and the culture that we live in. Man, we are, we are starved for sex, man. It's, create, it's because we have this appetite and we don't know exactly how we should fulfill that appetite. C.S. Lewis says this way. He said, if you were dropped into a, to another country, another planet, and you were to begin to follow a crowd of people into an arena, much like we have, and there was a stage set, people started clapping, and then they pulled the curtain back from the stage, and all of a sudden, on that table, in the middle of the stage, was a stake. And people started clapping and throwing money in it. What would you conclude? 
They got a problem of food. And this is what we do with sex. Because we're created as sexual beings. God's created us this way. There's just a certain context with which we can enjoy it. It's not that we should not be having it. We should just be having it in the right way. And the Bible's full of this. Do you know that the Bible has an entire book about this? How many of you have heard of the Song of Solomon? A few of you. The rest of you, you're going to say you're welcome in just a minute. Because I'm about to read some of it for you. Right? So the Song of Solomon is a book in the Old Testament. And it's written about two people who just got married. You had to be 13 before you could read this in the Bible. So I'm just going to read a passage, and you're going to want me to keep reading, but I'm going to stop. So maybe it's in one of your texting challenges coming up. All right. I'm just going to read. How beautiful and pleasant are you, O loved one, with all your delights. This is the groom speaking to his new bride. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. And this is what she says. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. That is the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Just saying. (laughs) So we see we're created this way. Man, we're created this way. And so Paul just wants to point out that God has created you. God has created me. God has created us for sex in the context of marriage. Now, clearly, there is the gift of singleness in the Bible. If you did some other reading, and it's another topic for another day, if you are single, there's a potential God is calling you and asking you, designed you, wired you to be single. Like, that happens. But what we're talking about today is the general creation of men and women together in the context of marriage is that we are to have sex. It's a regular occurrence and expected behavior in the context of marriage. Now, we'll keep reading. In verse 3, Paul writes this in the same chapter. Paul writes this in verse 3. It says, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. In other words, the husband, he starts with the husband. In that culture, husbands owned wives. Wives didn't own husbands. So for him to say this to a husband was extremely countercultural. I love that he started with husbands. And what he means by that is like, you owe her is what he means. It's a debt you have to owe. Like, now I know Dave Ramsey says debt is bad, but I don't know about that one. (laughs) Your conjugal rights. And then he goes on to say, and likewise, the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So Paul is just talking about that in the context of marriage is where sex should reside. Sex is very powerful. And so the crucible that God's created for us to enjoy sex is in the crucible of marriage. So, so think about it this way. Like how many of you in your house, you have a fireplace that burns wood, like real wood, right? How many of you have one that you can just kind of turn the switch on and fire comes on? Okay, right? Like that's fine, right? But, but we have one where you have to like go out. I have to go out. I had to cut a tree down. Um, I have to split the wood. Man, I go out and I get two rocks and rub them together to start fire in the fireplace because my wife loves a fire in the fireplace in the house, right? And there's a fireplace there, right? Because it's, and it's created, man, it's got a flue. It's created with certain material that it can withstand the fire. Now imagine for a minute that my wife says, hey, will you build a fire for me? I'm like, sure. And I go grab some and I just kind of plop it down in the middle of the kitchen and I just start building a fire right there on the countertop in the kitchen. It can't handle it. What's going to happen? It's going to burn the house down. 
It's not created. The fireplace is created for fire. And so in the context of marriage, the crucible of marriage is what God has created for the power of connecting in a sexual relationship. He's created a man and a woman to connect in marriage through sex. Normal, expected. In the context of marriage, Paul writes this. Sex bonds us in a way that nothing else does. Like, when you begin to research the physiology and the biology of sex, it will blow your mind. Because here's what happens. When you have sex with somebody, your limbic system that produces all sorts of hormones that produce different emotions, it produces a hormone that makes you attracted to the person you're having sex with, that literally physiologically connects you with the person that you're having sex with. Now, not surprisingly, women have more of that particular hormone than men do, but men have it as well. And so when we have sex, we are connected to that person physically, but also physiologically, which leads to our souls being connected is the way the Bible teaches us that part of our soul is connected when we have sex with someone. God has created us to connect through sex. God's, that's, that's how we're wired. Have you ever heard this phrase? I'm looking for my soulmate or met my soulmate or they're my soulmate. Those two words go together. And so the belief is like, man, if we just look hard enough, there's someone out there who's created just for me. They know every, they believe the same way that I believe. They like the same things that I like. They're interested in finding out the things that I like. They're interested in doing the things that I want them to do, man. That's my soulmate. And the truth is that person doesn't exist. But what happens in the context of marriage is a soulmate is created. Because you're connected to your spouse in such a way that God is designed for your souls to intermingle. There's a, an analogy to this, and uh, it's, it's like having an Oreo. And I can remember when I was a kid, one of the things I liked to do was to take an Oreo apart and to just scrape the cream off. Anybody ever do that? Do you notice how you never can, when you, when you open up an Oreo and you separate it out, that actually... One side has more cream, but the other side, it still has some on there. You can't completely get it off. And that's a little bit of what happens when two souls connect through sex. Man, it is so powerful and beautiful and intimate in the context of marriage that God has designed it to be fundamental to how we maintain a life-giving marriage. And so when we, when we choose to operate outside of that is where we get into problems. Now, in our culture, we kind of divorce sex from relationship and from connection. Have you noticed that? Like you can just swipe right and have a hookup physically. And we're reaping the devastating effects of that in our culture. Is that we're reaping a culture that doesn't understand the power of sex and we continue to misuse it, which shows the rise of the, the negative components of it that I've already addressed. And so we need to remember that it's for connecting in the context of marriage if you're dating, here's what happens. Man, if you, man, you're dating someone and you are attracted to them, that's how you first start dating, right? Like you're, you, nobody dates someone. Like you don't call up your girlfriend and say, I've got you a blind date. Well, what does he look like? He has a great personality. Like you're like, I'm out. I got to do my hair tonight. I got to wash my hair. Like we're, we're already attracted sexually. So you start dating someone because there's an attraction there. And as you're trying to determine if you should get married, you have sex. And all of a sudden, 
Sex gives you this false momentum towards marriage that if it weren't in the, if it weren't in the picture, man, you wouldn't be getting married because there's so many other things that have to line up clearly that all of a sudden there's some chaos, there's some confusion, there's some cloudiness that happens because you had sex, because you're now connected to this person that otherwise you never would have gotten married. And it may be here today and like you're, you're dating and you're having sex or thinking about having sex. And I would say that there comes a point where you need to just step back and say, hey, if I just surveyed the landscape of what's happened in culture and the people that I know that have gone down this path, that maybe it's not just old fashioned, maybe it's actually best for me. It gives a false momentum, and it just, which just shows us how connecting it is. I mean, another thing that shows us how connecting it is, is that the pain that it causes. You know, you and I, we can go through different experiences in life. You know, you can break an arm and, you know, six months later, you're fine. You don't even think about it. But when you go through sexual trauma or through sexual abuse, and that pain sticks with you, doesn't it? Just shows us how important it is for us to experience sex in the crucible of marriage, God's not holding out on you. And he's not holding out on us. And God knows what's best because he created sex to be fundamental when it comes to connecting with your spouse in the context of marriage. Now, now Paul finishes up in verse 5, and it's kind of humorous. He says this, he says, don't deprive one another. In other words, don't tell your spouse, I'm not having sex. Don't, don't deprive one another from sex, except perhaps by agreement. Okay, so if we agree, we can, we can not have it. For a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again. So, so another, another way of looking at this, another translation says that you may devote yourself to prayer and fasting, right? So when, he, when you limit yourself, think about what do you limit yourself from? You limit yourself maybe from eating because eating is something you do normally and naturally on an everyday basis. You may limit yourself from maybe media, man, for prayer. You just take some time on my prayer. We're going to have some prayer time because it's normal and natural for us to do that. And so the implication from Paul is that it's normal and natural for married couples to have sex regularly. It's not like a once a year thing. Now, now this is a question I get all the time. How often, Stephen, is healthy and enough? And my answer to that is you need, to, you need to ask your spouse that question. If you haven't had a conversation about it, then you're going to be frustrated. And so Paul says, don't do that. Don't limit yourself. He says, by agreement. Okay? So two components to an agreement. Number one is understanding. Number one is understanding. If you're going to have an agreement, if you're going to be on the same page with somebody, if you're going to be in harmony over in your sexual life, there has to be an understanding. You need to be a PhD in your spouse's life. I mean, you need to know the things that make them come alive. You need to know the things that make them excited. You need to know the things that make them sad. You need to know their story. You need to know what they're afraid of. You need to know what they um, are looking forward to. You need to know what they're dreaming about. There needs to be this understanding of your spouse. Hey, and that never stops. Guys, am I wrong? It never stops. I find out things daily that I should have known 20 years ago. There are times my wife will ask me, why can't you read my mind yet? I'm just dumb, baby. I don't know. There needs to be understanding. You need to be an expert. And then there needs to be communication. There needs to be communication that happens. 
there's an understanding, there's a communication. I don't know if the, when's the last time in your marriage you had a conversation about your sexual relationship and all the questions that go into that type of conversation. Um, but, but hopefully today, maybe it generates that conversation in your life. That's what we want to be able to do. And again, just to remind us kind of what this should look like. It, it is fundamental. It is not the Holy Grail. It is not to be worshipped. But when you're not operating in the context where it's healthy, that's what it becomes. It becomes the thing that is worshipped. It becomes the thing that consumes our mind. It becomes the thing that we get frustrated about. And so, guys, one of the things about this idea of mutual submission and the authority that we're given, it's not that we tell our spouse, hey, you owe me, but it's that, man, I, I owe you. Like, I'm, my body belongs to you. And many times what men can do, women can do this as well. Men are probably more stereotypical in this. Is like, you'll want your spouse to do some things that they're not comfortable doing. You need to have some communication about that. There needs to be an understanding of what that looks like and why that's good or why that's not. But that can only come if you have conversation about it. As our staff counselor says, as often as you can, as often as you can, how often is that? Ask your spouse. In ways that you enjoy, don't settle for less. Don't settle for less. Now at this point, what I'd like to do is just address some things that I know are true. Whenever I have a guy come to me and say, I need to talk to you about something, 90% of the time, it's a sexual thing. Sin, mistake, problem, 90% of the time. If I have a, a female who says, I, I need some help, more often than not, it's because of something sexual. Abuse, some devastation, mistake, sin, something that happens. So I know one thing that will keep us from having healthy sexual connection in our marriages is some baggage, some pain, some past. Man, how do you move past that? Because you've been trying, haven't you? You've worked really hard. You've read a lot of books. You've been to counseling. Hey, let me tell you. Let me tell you about Jesus. Because he looked at us, loved us deeply, understood our pain, heartbreak, heartache, baggage, sin, behavior, and he wouldn't have it, so he came for us. In the midst of all this chaos of sin and devastation, he steps in to bring healing, restoration. And you may think that you're so far gone, too far gone, it's the way it's going to be. Don't settle. And the gospel is so much bigger than that. Don't believe a lie when God has nothing but new for you. Just because you've blown it doesn't mean it's not possible for you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible says this. God will restore what the locusts have eaten. And whatever you've been stolen from you, whatever you've given away, man, Jesus wants to get it back. Let's pray together.
Father, we know that you have created the marriage relationship. It's a picture of how much you love us. And God, in, the, in our marriages, in our, in our brokenness, and we've just got some pain and baggage, man. We've got some things that we drag into our marriage relationships that are holding us back, keeping us from the connection that you promised, the connection you didn't want for us. And Jesus, in this moment, man, I just ask you to step into some lives right now that all those regrets that keep coming back, they would just turn them over to you. They would just ask you to take them away. The regrets of just sexual behavior where they were looking for value or looking for identity or just not knowing how you and why you created sex. And God, that you would just bring healing where there's been brokenness, God. That you would bring hope, man, where there's guilt and shame. And God, I pray that, man, we'd be a people that just believes in the bigness of Jesus. Man, to restore everything that's been stolen or given away. God, I pray that marriages would just be full of laughter and fun. God, that, man, we would have such a close connection in every area. God, that our sexual expression with each other would just be something that's gratifying and satisfying. And God helps us to just draw closer to each other. Lord, we just ask that you would be in charge, that from this point forward, whatever we've done is behind us now. And we just march forward under the banner that you've given us, that you've given us sex to enjoy in the context and the crucible of marriage. And we believe that over and against anything else we've been told. So we just say thanks for the gospel, the only thing that's worthy of our worship. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.